1: Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe a podcast that's all about comic book movies which you can find at cinematicmultiverse.com I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are
2: Sir Patrick and James Hunt
1: We'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news before diving into our spoiler-filled discussion of Rod Hardy's <laughs> 1998 TV movie Nick Fury, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Before any of that I'm going to ask Seven James to, well, not specifically explain a comic book concept, because for you listeners, it might seem like we've been away for a couple of weeks, but this is the first time that we've all been around a microphone talking to each other in, what, about two months, guys?
2: Yeah, something like that. It's been a long time.
1: (laughs) Not since we recorded The Batman Returns, which was a uh, a pre-record before Suicide Squad, even. So basically... I've been out of the country for, you know, a a good few weeks. I've missed a lot of stuff. Guys, in the world of comic books, what have I missed? What should I be reading? What's going on? (laughs) This is just an excuse (laughs) for you to recommend some good comics. I thought you'd enjoy it.
2: I mean, I was talking to Seb about this off mic, and at the moment I am reading fewer comics than at any point in the last, like, 20 years. (laughs) Like, I, I can't keep up with how expensive they are for a start and uh because of brexit we you know harbored yeah i mean I, god i bought more expensive i bought four comics from forbidden planet at the weekend and it cost me over over 15 pounds <laughs> that is ridiculous money comics like, yeah. prices haven't gone up yet though i am not a trillionaire
1: i went into my local comic book shop um earlier this week and um i was kind of asking him a similar question he was like yeah, I'm reading kind of one DC title and two Marvel titles <laughs> right now, and that's it, like, monthly. And mm-hmm. this is the guy that runs the shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are you reading, though, James? Is there anything Is there anything of those four comics? I mean, you spent the money. There must be something worth it. In
2: I mean, you already read them, I think, if you want to. I'm reading Howard the Duck, which is about to finish, and I'm reading yeah. Amazing Spider-Man, and I'm reading uh, Silver Surfer. So... Are you are you not reading Squirrel Girl? Am I not? No, I I buy Squirrel Girl when it goes on sale because I like I find it a bit much to remember, like week in week out. Like because I'm not invested in the character that much, so I you know I enjoy it more when I read it in big chunks. I mean that's true of a lot of books, really. That's kind Mm. of what what's pushed me off monthly stuff.
1: Is it fair to say that you've sidestepped uh, DC's rebirth then?
2: Yeah, like I'm still taking a kind of. (laughs) wait and see well no it's more like the whole Watchmen thing just made me think I'll like just fuck DC like I'll probably (laughs) calm down a bit but I just I don't want any complicity in that act
1: Okay, so this is this is kind of counter to the, the wider comic book world, though, because I was reading an article this week on Vulture that was saying that comic books or diamonds distribution is higher than it's been in 20 years or something. It was the highest month for comic book sales in 20 years. So, Seb, you must be buying a whole heap of them.
3: <laughs> yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised by quite a lot of Rebirth. Um, I've been pleased that I haven't loved like everything that I tried because it would be really bad for my bank balance um, if I had <laughs> but um, I have been, I mean, notwithstanding the uh, what James said about, you know, how it's got its origins in what appears to be an ill-advised attempt to fold Watchmen into things, um, and notwithstanding the fact that off the page, I do still have concerns about some of the ways in which DC is run, some of the people who are there, it really annoys me that one of the, the in terms of creativity, um, one of the best editorial offices at the moment is the Superman office, and um, the Superman office has a group editor who uh, I mean, we won't go into that on this podcast, but you can, you can look <laughs> up some the stuff about, yeah. Um, but, I, you know, taking all of that aside, I've tried a lot of the DC Rebirth books at their first issue. Not all of them have been great. Some of them have been surprisingly slightly disappointing, uh, but more have been surprisingly excellent. Um, so on the Superman side of things, um, Action Comics has been okay. Um, Superman, the the... Just the Superman title. Title has been fantastic by um, Peter Tomasi and uh, uh, Patrick Gleason, the artist. Um, They've worked together on on like Green Lantern and stuff like that before. Um, So that's bringing the pre Flashpoint Superman into continuity to replace the new 52 Superman who's dead and it's about um, him, his son, discovering his powers and basically becoming the new Superboy and it's been excellent, so tonally well-judged and just like feels like the Superman character that I want to read about. Um, They've also had... um, a Superwoman book that threatened to be about the new 52 Lois Lane, but actually seems to be about Lana Lang instead, Had kind of had a bit of a twist at the end of the first issue, which the first okay. issue was better than the second. I don't know if I'm sticking with that yet. Um, a new series, a completely new series called New Superman, with a hyphen in it, so hyphenated like Spider-Man, um, which has been, for me, the real revelation of DC Rebirth. Um, it's by Gene Lewin Yang, who did a very disappointing run on Superman um, last earlier this year or last year, um, but this is about a Chinese kid uh, called Kenan Kong who um, as, as a result of a government experiment gets superpowers and becomes the Chinese Superman basically. Um, but it's played quite as sort of like not exactly a humour book, but like not dissimilar in tone to something like Giffen and Dematis' Justice League or Keith Giffen's Blue Beetle oh, cool. from like the mid two thousands. The the thing that distinguishes it is that the lead character isn't very likable, but you can see that he's got depth and will probably become more likable. I mean, the the best way I've seen it summarised is imagine if it was Flash Thompson that got bitten by the spider instead of Peter Parker. Um, and the first few issues of that have been great really really enjoyable so I strongly recommend that Um, there's a new Supergirl book by Steve Orlando which has just started which is really weird because it mixes the character of the new 52 Supergirl who's very different from... um, the um, Melissa Benoist TV show but it puts her in a setting that's much more in line with the TV show like so she's got the Danvers as her adoptive parents who are DEA agents and Cat Grant is in it and like all things that weren't elements of the New 52 run but with a character who is very much alien girl trying to understand like Earth and her place on it and stuff so um, that's worked reasonably well so far.
1: Um, so the in my Comixology account yeah. ready yeah. to be read at some it's good. point when I've yeah. caught up on everything I missed when I was away <laughs> um, Seb, because I imagine we probably can't go into that level of detail with Sorry, all, yeah, of the movies, yeah. all of the Rebirth books um, one question I was desperate to get answered is if you're reading Rebirth mm-hmm. and you want to actually keep up with the kind of wider rebirth like the the overarching story of Rebirth that was mm-hmm. teed up in that first issue with Wally West yeah. flying around what comics should you actually be reading if you want to because I, that I don't... I've read I've read bits <laughs> of Wonder Woman and- yeah uh, Batman, and it doesn't
3: seem to be really in. There. I haven't, I haven't seen anything in anything beyond the fact that the only thing that I've seen in terms of an ongoing story is there is a mysterious character called Mister Oz, who some people think is going to be Ozimandias, but I really don't. I think that's <laughs> a stupid idea, um, and he seems to be collecting characters for some purpose, and he's talked about. Um, You know, there's all these things about rifts in in the kind of timeline and the continuity not being as it should be. There's things like the Three Jokers, which hasn't really been expanded on in the Batman books. Now, so far, two of the books that I've been reading have had Mr. Oz show up in them. One of them was Action Comics, because he collected Doomsday at the end of a story art there. Um, And the other one is Detective Comics. Um, But something happened in Detective Comics that I don't want to spoiler, um, but it related to that I don't don't want to spoiler it because it's a major thing to a major character the other reason it's only just come out as well hasn't it yeah it was 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 just last week as we record this Um, also I mean yeah I I I don't want to go into too much detail about every book that I'm reading and why they're good but Detective Comics is the best of the Rebirth books it is phenomenal it's a really really great series Tom King's Batman is very good as well and I think he's going to get better and better but reading that. Detective Comics is superb team book with just loads of great characters in it and I um, highly recommend that. And Green Arrow is and- the other one. Green Arrow, the Rebirth issue was the best and the subsequent issues
1: have been okay, but I do recommend Green Arrow as well. And just because I want to hear you talk about it a little bit, you on Twitter the other day said that Vision might be Marvel's best new book in about 20 years.
3: Was yeah, that
1: right? <laughs> it's just...
3: <laughs> and, yeah, I, you want me to say this because you were reading it before I was. Um, I, I I picked up the first issue, and I can't believe that I've been reading something this good the, as it's been happening. Because the thing is, because Tom King like had done some quite good stuff at DC. He'd been doing Grayson at DC, which was good, but it wasn't like one of the best things I'd ever read. Um, but I hear that Omega Men, which I need to pick up the trade of that he did at DC, was supposed to be fantastic. And Vision is just like if anyone listening to this doesn't like know about the Vision and and why it's good, it's just I can't even. Well, tell you what, I mean, Joe, you describe why it's good because you because you were reading it before me. But I, I will agree well, I with you that it's just an amazing, amazing comic.
0: It's
1: it's it's not in any way a trad superhero book it's set in the (laughs) american suburbs you don't really have to be invested or care about vision at all because it is more about his wider family and almost the most the the key character in it is the narrator i would say Mm. like the that's that's where all it's got
3: a really clever third-party narration trick that it that it pulls from time to time um that's kind of um, it's it's sort of basically it's referring to everything in the past and it's like this is an omniscient narrator who knows what's yeah. going to happen at the end of the story and it's yeah it's building to yeah something. and it's and
1: it's from the word go it's set up as a tragic story mm. and so you kind of know but yet yeah, it seems to kind of plug deeper depths by mm. the time you get to the end of an issue even though you know where it's going Um, it seems to be even more depressing than you thought it was going to be in terms of the story but really really compelling and entertaining and manages to tell issue to issue stories whilst having a really tightly focused arc across Mm. the I mean, thing. When, it, when I said about it being potentially the best thing that
3: Marvel have done, I think I I thought about it in terms of, like, there's Marvel books that I love. Like, I love Squirrel Girl, and I've really enjoyed a lot of Howard the Duck. And there's been lots of Marvel stuff over the last 10, 15 years that I think has been has been fantastic and that I've really enjoyed. But this feels like, when it finishes, it's going to finish after 12 issues, partly, I think, because it's completing its story and partly because Tom King has gone exclusive to DC. It is going to have told a self-contained story that I genuinely think in years and years to come people are going to be talking about as one of the great comic series. That's how good I think it is. It's just, But it's just not enough people paying attention to it
1: now, but I really think, I think it will get have, thought of in those terms. I think I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, but the fill-in issue that has in the middle where it has a different artist where it kind of flashes back Is that to, the Scarlet Witch one? Yeah, the Scarlet oh, Witch... Oh, because I just it's read that glorious. one because I was behind on it and oh
3: my God, and then the way that... What that drops on you at the end of that issue is just yes. like my head exploded at that <laughs> point.
1: This is making because me want to read when it. Sometimes, <laughs> when I'm reading fill in issues, sometimes with comics, and especially like when I'm kind of catching up, maybe it's a recommendation you've given me and it's mm. 12 issues, but like maybe the seventh one is a fill in. Superior Foes of Spider Man did I that. But yeah, so it almost it was it was almost the best thing in the entire series. Yeah, that that issue was just like a mind blower. Yeah, yeah.
3: Um, In terms of shedding light on the series, oh yeah, it's just it's fantastic. And that is why I'd say at the moment, Tom King's Batman has been slightly overshadowed by Detective Comics. But I think in the long run, I think. I can, based on vision, I can imagine him building something really, really special there. Um, he's he's bringing a slightly different, definitely a different feel to it from Scott Snyder, um, but kind of it feels a little bit more Grant Morrisony. Some of what he's doing, but in a different way. I think I think he's got I think he's got a head full of big ideas. Um, so yeah, that's going to be interesting.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, excellent. So we we've talked about a lot of good comics there. So hopefully, listeners well will. uh well, maybe you want to pick up some of those or try some of those. And it sounds like James might want to try at least one of them.
3: <laughs> oh, can I, can I also as well? Um, best thing going at Image at the moment. Um, well, there are a few great things going at Image at the moment, but best new thing at Image is The Fix by Nick Spencer and Steve Lieber, the superior foes of Spider-Man.
2: Yeah, I am reading that.
3: Um, yeah, that's, that's everything you would expect from superior foes of Spider-Man but being allowed to be more over the top. Is
1: basically yeah, I, I read the first issue of that, and something made me laugh out loud in a public space. So that was <laughs> that was always good. And uh, Paper Girls is excellent, but every hipster comic book reader is already reading that anyway. So I'm not. I didn't um, I didn't go on with it, but yeah. Oh really? Yeah. The it, second, yeah. the start of the second arc is fantastic. Mm, I may um, catch up um, on it. On kind it kind of skates up a notch. So yeah. Okay, we'll we'll move on to this week's comic book movie and TV news now. And um, well. Listeners who listen to the mini-sodes or this week the mega-sode will know that I covered a lot of news (laughs) this week. Uh, (laughs) And there hasn't been a huge amount that has broken between then and um, when we're recording this podcast. But there's a couple of little things that probably aren't going to need too deep a discussion, but I think it would be interesting to talk about. Um, The one that I think we can talk about the most, guys, because you might have some thoughts and theories about what's going on here... Is that the Punisher Netflix series um, is obviously gearing up for development because it's made um, it's cast one of its villains um, and it has cast Ben Barnes who is probably still best known for uh, playing Prince Caspian in the Narnia movies um, and it's suspected that he's the villain um, and now what's interesting to me here is what this says about where the punisher is in the development of the netflix series that it might be before a daredevil season three or potentially that this punisher villain is going to be introduced in the defenders before he shows up in his own series um so what i want you what, what i want you guys to tell me is who he might be playing who would make sense as a punisher villain um, and what you think about this casting? Well, I'm I'm just I didn't really know much about this, but I'm just re-
3: having Googled it. I'm just reading an article on Screen Rant which suggests that the rumor is that he's going to play Bobby Saint, who I saw this as well. Who is <laughs> not from <laughs> I the comic, and who is for those of you who didn't listen to our Punisher episode, he is the son. Of um, John Travolta's character in the Thomas Jane <laughs> film, and he is—he dies at the start. Like it's his death, it's him getting killed by the Punisher that basically kicks off the plot of the film.
2: That, is he
1: the twin that gets killed, or is he the twin that survives? He's the twin who gets killed at the start.
2: Wow, <laughs> that is such an odd choice. It makes me think they might have inside information because I can't see any reason you would pull that character if you didn't have like yeah, a yeah, who, casting sheet or would something. Who that?
1: Who would predict that Bobby say? Not even Howard say, yeah. who was the villain? Yeah. Um, unless, unless they've read Bobby on a page and got confused, is there another? Is there a Bobby character? That I a mean, Punisher that they could afford from?
2: There aren't any obvious Punisher villains except for the like Nucci family. Mm.
3: Or if you brought in like, they were kind of. I'm thinking in the Ennis run, maybe there are um, military generals and stuff who are. Uh, isn't there one major military general? I mean, he seems a bit young for that, but like, you could imagine a, a figure from Frank's past in the military. Uh, you know, well, potentially. The, I don't want to. Don't, I don't.
2: want to spoil Daredevil, but they sort of did that. Oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't watched. I it mean, yet, I, so. the the only Punisher villain who I'm expecting to see is Jigsaw and I'm not sure if he'll be Jigsaw, so... Um,
3: the only, the only other Punisher I can think of is Barracuda, and he's not going to be him.
1: <laughs> that well, would who, be a who's Jigsaw, point. then? If we're expecting to see him, who is he for our listeners and for me? He's
2: basically a guy Frank disfigured. Uh, he checked in through a plate glass window and, like, screwed up his face. And as a result, he's just like a nutcase with a gun... He's pr- he's it, pr- would that make sense a-
1: then For a kind of a pretty boy actor Like Ben I so- well, am to say that very di- just dismissively But Ben Barnes is a, a very handsome Kind of boyish good looking man So would that make sense Does this casting kind of chime with that character I
2: mean I guess Like jigsaw's thing is just that his face has been stitched up and wrecked so you know if they're going for the dramatic irony of this pretty guy who's got heavy prosthetics or acquires them by the end of the series then maybe Hmm. but like he's just a he's just just like a hitman who the punisher has a sort of feud with and that's the extent of him being like the arch enemy of the character he is called Billy Might though, say? so I mean it's possible if you know Billy Bobby is not not a huge stretch.
1: It's just Bobby Saint seems like such an insane
2: yeah, thing. Yeah, if like, it turns uh, out to be Bobby Saint, they had the inside track on that because that there's no reason to <laughs> select that character, none none whatsoever.
1: But does the Punisher have iconic villains or does it does it really not matter? So could they take a character like Jigsaw and just do something well, a little bit different with the it? Th-
2: the thing about the Punisher is his whole deal is that he murders people. So it's hard to have a villain...
1: Yeah. Because,
2: <laughs> like, at the centre of his concept is he kills people who he doesn't like and he's ruthless about it. So... Like Bullseye is a good foil for the Kingpin. For the Kingpin, Bullseye is a good foil. The Kingpin's a good foil because like those are characters who are important enough to other Marvel characters that the Punisher can't beat them. Yeah. But if you create a villain for the Punisher, like they're ending up dead eventually. Like the all the good ones yeah. are like the Nucci's and the Russian probably. Like that's yeah. the extent just of it. Bring-
1: Just bring back the Russian completely from, if you're going to take one character from the Thomas Jane Punisher film, just bring back that version of the Russian. (laughs) Um, um, Seb, what do you reckon then? Because I'm now wondering from what James says, if the Punisher thing is that he kills characters, what if, would it make sense to introduce a character in Defenders maybe that the punisher kind of rubs up against or that kind of that kind of you know they clash and then you bring him back because it's very difficult to hint at any backstory when he kills everyone.
3: Mm, I mean it's the thing with the punisher you can only really go one of two ways with his villains. You either have him come up against somebody who is trying to bring him to task for his crimes or you put him up against somebody who's worse than he is. I imagine if they did um, detective
2: soap. Yeah. Oh, please,
1: please. <laughs> oh, I read him in the comic. Yeah, he was yeah. the hapless kind yeah. of idiot. Yeah, yeah. Um,
3: or he could be. There's also Nicky Cavella from Garth Ennis' run, who's the the um, mob guy. Who, the more I think about it, actually, he's the kind of youngish psychopath guy, and I think he's kind of quite suave. So that could be a Ben Barnes kind of thing. But.
1: I don't for a million I don't in a million years think they're gonna do anything like this, but I would love to see them just do a Punisher series where they bring in one of the other heroes as the villain. But so obviously the villain is the hero in that mm. sense, <laughs> but you are watching a series from the Punisher's point of view where say, I don't know, um yeah, Iron Fist is trying to bring him down for the entire series. But I mean if you're doing that surely Daredevil
2: is the well, one yeah, that's the already thing. Done they already the did that, Daredevil really, haven't didn't they? they? Yeah. Yeah. Well, those, the those
3: are the two I mean, in terms of in terms of setting superhero characters against each other those are pretty much the best two that you can
2: the, th- you know. the major Punisher pairings are like Punisher and Daredevil, Punisher and Spider-Man, Punisher and Wolverine mm. so two of those yeah, you can't so really do two of
1: those are not going to
3: happen <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah
3: just, put, just have Charlie Cox in as the villain for the Punisher series yeah I would watch that
2: I think it, because I mean but you some kind of did watch it though. The- That's the problem, isn't it? Like the first four episodes of Daredevil series two.
1: <laughs> but I mean, I do, do remember the first season of Daredevil where everyone was saying this is good, but it would be better if it was called Kingpin. Yeah. And obviously, I agree with that. Um, so I think it would be interesting to do a series called Punisher, where your villain is a hero. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Okay, we'll we'll see whether Ben Barnes turns out to be Bobby Saint <laughs> or whether he turns out <laughs> to be someone completely different. <laughs> But, um, yeah, that is... If that's true, wow. Um, Okay, uh, we'll move on now to some DC news, and um, we're definitely getting that Harley Quinn movie, you guys. Surprising Um, nobody. (laughs) Yeah, surprising nobody, but I think what will be interesting to see is how DC fit these movies in, because they've now announced a solo Batman movie, a solo Harley Quinn movie, and a Man of Steel sequel. That's... In amongst all of the other films that they've already announced, At this can I point, can I make done, a, a, specula- a Justice League Part Two when they say we're getting
3: <laughs> yeah. it? My my speculative guess would be, uh, aside from maybe the Flash, um, I would think they would be far more likely to make the further Batman, Superman, Harley Quinn and Wonder Woman movies than they would be yep. to make movies with new characters at this point. Like, we are never going to see a Green Lantern movie in this universe at this rate. <laughs> this <laughs> is just There's no reason for them to take a chance on
1: it. That's a very obvious one to get pushed back. Aquaman is happening.
3: Yeah, true, Aquaman is going to go ahead. I can't see Cyborg happen. If anything's going to be a casualty, it's going to be Cyborg at this yeah. point.
1: Yeah. Are they really no. going to cancel the black character? Does that, that's not good luck, is it? It's not, but it is Cyborg, so... See, I think the obvious one to get rid of right now is Justice League Part 2, and you mm. do it. You do a just, another Justice League movie, but you save it for another two or three years and push Green Lanterns back. Um,
2: the problem with that still is that's, you're asking Zack Snyder to be sort of concise. You're
1: running on the assumption here that Zack Snyder is going to direct another film after Justice League, <laughs> which... Uh, I, I can't believe he's directing Justice guy. League. Like,
2: mm. what does he have on Warner?
1: Well, I think what he had was um, a start date um, that that was too soon after Batman v Superman.
2: Alan Smithy was unavailable.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, But the Harley Quinn movie, you guys, that's going to be exec produced by
2: uh, Margot Robbie. So So Harley Quinn will definitely have trousers.
3: With Harley Quinn, I think the interesting thing is going to be Will they now move Harley completely away from the Joker, given that Jared Leto seems to be hurriedly burning? Well, one, he's burning his bridges, and two, I don't think anyone has a desperate desire to see him back. Um, So there's a really good opportunity (laughs) to let Harley move away. And the obvious thing to do is bring Poison Ivy in. Yes. You know, if they're going to move in a sensible direction with the Harley Quinn movie, you bring in Ivy. Now, what I would suggest doing is bring in... Ivy as an antagonist who then becomes an ally by the end of it, so set her up as the main villain, but establish that rapport between them um you know maybe you know it would be good if they did, but maybe don't go full pelt on the actual full-on relationship because you know this is American movies that we're talking about, so there's only so far you can go but um you know without offending half the country although it's it's harley quinn so presumably they're not bothered about that um
1: but (laughs) yeah yeah, i think i think think this is one of the films that for um, unsavory reasons they could get away (laughs) with going full pelt on that yeah uh well that's the thing you also
3: yeah you don't want to go to you know the whole point of why that relationship has worked in comics is because it actually isn't pitched at teenage boys Uh, Mm um but even so like that the point is, is that there is another hook for Harley that you can you can move her in that direction. You do, like she is not as reliant on the Joker as she was as a character, even like five years ago, um, let alone ten. You know, um, and there's and
1: no think, denying how popular this version of the character has been. Uh, the amount of people I've already seen dressed up in Harley Quinn outfits for like Halloween. Even I, I we mean, are, uh, I we're think, over a month away from Halloween. I think there's a reasonable case to be made that she is
3: by far the most popular female character in comics to, to the to the general public
1: like um yeah well that, that that character is already iconic in the way that Heath Ledger's Joker was in a completely mm. different way but it's perhaps even more impressive because that's come about in a movie that is an absolute clusterfuck well this is I finish. mean you know
3: that yeah because I mean as we've discussed you know that film can't be considered a flop now like that film has done what DC wanted it to.
1: Oh no, it was never. But but from the opening weekend, it succeeded.
3: But you know, from a even if you even if you were looking at it from a critical point of view, um, like I think the thing that everyone agrees upon is that Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn is the one thing that comes out of the film not damaged by it. Mm -hmm. Um, In much the same way as coming out of Batman v Superman, everyone was like, "Well, yeah, we still want to see a Ben Affleck solo Batman film." (laughs) Yeah.
1: I mean, I do wonder whether, again, an, an obvious film not to make is Suicide Squad two. You replace Suicide Squad two with Harley Quinn, and you put Deadshot in something else, because I don't. I think as much as people like Will Smith, I don't think it was Will Smith and uh, Margot Robbie's relationship on screen there, which was that, which was yeah, what they were just the only for. two the who were better than the material. <laughs> Yeah, so you put Deadshot in a Batman movie, or you put Deadshot in a Justice League movie, or even a Flash movie, or I doubt any of the others. Probably, I'm sure you could stick him in anything. Um, uh, You could almost make him kind of like the Coulson of that universe, who kind of pops up here, there, and everywhere. Because you know, who maybe you could be a a hero for hire rather than like a kind of an assassin for hire. uh, Now that he's got those Amanda Waller links, but yeah. I personally, I'd love to see a Harley Quinn movie because th- that's the thing with DC. Like, as long as... And that's the thing with shared universes. It, it kind of doesn't matter if you fuck up time and time again if there is a thing about those <laughs> movies that people like. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, why I find, uh, that's why I always find it's a shame in the Marvel movies where, like, they get the movies right but occasionally they'll get a character right and I'm just like, oh, I kind of feel like that character's ruined for the universe now.
2: <laughs> that's why Agents yeah, that's, of that's S.H.I.E.L.D. Gone. was, like, pulling in all sorts of no-hopers from the comics.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: And then not even doing them properly just in case Marvel proper studios wanted them. (laughs)
1: Um, On a related note, we can cover the final piece of news as part of this discussion. Zack Snyder debuted the new Batman suit, the new Batman tactical suit, which I don't think is going to be his suit all the way through Justice League. But um, what do you guys think about Batman dressing as Night Owl in Justice League? well you've, you've just said it there it's a night owl
3: costume I mean it literally is night owls head it's ridiculous
2: <laughs> I mean it's just it's oh. just an action figure thing isn't it like that's all that's going on here
3: to be what fair I mean go- you, you can't you can't complain about batman movies introducing new suits for action figures because they've been doing it
2: <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not complaining i'm just saying like
3: <laughs>
1: you
2: know
1: what did you guys think i i, I uh previewed a, a theory on the megasode that um the dc movies are doing the same thing with watchmen that rebirth <laughs> so we've got quite a lot of the watchmen actors have been cast in the dc universe now now batman's dressing as night owl i think there's a big net meta narrative going on which is that <laughs> DC learned all the wrong lessons from Watchmen, which is they hired Zack Snyder to make their films. Yeah. they wanted to make them dark and gritty. They changed from the source materials in ways that they shouldn't, and um, it's a big meta narrative that's going on. And they're gonna, and we're gonna find out eventually that Watchmen is to blame for all of this again, and um, we're living in a fake universe.
2: It's, it's just, I think it's this. just Zack Snyder's attempt to give Alan more like a rage-induced heart attack. <sighs>
1: Ah, oh, okay. Well, um, that's all the comic book movie news for this week. Um, and <laughs> Much so we're more professional than na- usual, that. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're going to move on now to our spoiler-filled discussion of the 1998 TV movie, Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, you guys listen to this because we had to watch the whole movie. <laughs>
0: From the pages of entertainment history, from a brand renowned for non-stop action adventure, from a name that stirs the imagination, from a universe where good is heroic and evil sets the screen ablaze, comes a man who will always remain a hero. Welcome to SHIELD, the Supreme Headquarters International Espionage Law Enforcement Division. That's sweet. His last words, Nick. I assume he meant his boyhood chump, Nick Fury. Well, a assured, your friend's death is only the beginning. Fury! Managed to screw things up again? Listen carefully. I'm addressing Shield Director Jack Pinter. That Head virus has been set to explode somewhere in Manhattan. You have until 6 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time tomorrow to assemble 1 billion U.S. dollars. Any attempt to back here, Manhattan, will result in the immediate release of the virus. Against Hydra, there is no shield. Fury, what do you think you're doing? You're endangering the mission! You comic fuck coward! Give us the coordinates, Tim. We have uh, two air missiles being launched. All right, let's move. We're gonna have two heat seekers at our exhaust. Hang on, people! Build out! Grab your gear! you located the suspect vehicle yet? Sir, I have the sight now. 30 minutes to the deadline. Hydra headquarters. Going shield in the way of Yorka. Nick, thank God. I thought you were dead. I was. But now I'm better. <laughs> you must get us the abort code. The no! oh! abort code. Yuri! <laughs> you're too late! <laughs>
1: Okay, so that was a, a little glimpse into the world of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., because, um, Seb, you said this to us before the podcast. You were like, should we explain this movie a lot more than we normally <laughs> do? Because a lot less people are going to have watched this than the normal stuff we talk about. Um I think that was a fair prediction. Yes, even less than Howard the Duck. Well, this is a TV movie for a start, and... Um, it's uh, what's the best word to describe it? I mean, I would say. Well, actually, no. I'll tell you
3: the best way to describe it. Although I, I did already, I already did this on Twitter, so apologies for those who read that already. But the best way that I can find to sum up this film is that it is basically a real-life version of Michael Scott's Threat Level Midnight,
1: <laughs> but
3: potentially even less competent.
1: Oh, it's it's such a bizarre movie because. From all I can tell from kind of little bits of Googling and from Wikipedia and from my limited Marvel knowledge, this is fairly faithful. Like, maybe one of the most <laughs> faithful comic book adaptations of all time. Yeah, it's, it's it's faithful in the sense
3: that they really did go through and take all of the characters' names from the comic. Um, I mean, that's about as far as it goes. But no, because it, they get the names. They do the helicarrier. They do you know, they do life model decoys. It's like,
2: yeah. I, I, I genuinely think like Hasselhoff is a recognizable Nick Fury. Like if you didn't tell someone that it was Nick Fury and even eyepatch notwithstanding, like he, he is a solid version of the character to the point of, he just kind of spouts cheesy tough guy, one liners and does cheesy tough guy things like shooting lift panels
1: we should we should point out as well original white Nick Fury, because yeah. this will have been pre the Ultimate Universe and pre the black yeah. Sam Jackson inspired Nick Fury.
2: So like there like I was saying to Seb before, this is something that will come up again later, but there is a character in Marvel who is a parody of Nick Fury. And this version of the character is almost more like him than actual Nick Fury. But at the same okay. time, that parody only works because Nick Fury is already ridiculous. So, like, the fact that Hasselhoff is, like, acting over the top and given bad dialogue and stupid actions is completely consistent with Nick Fury <laughs> and his place in the Marvel Universe.
3: I think it's just that, the, yeah, in terms of... Who the characters are and what the setup is, and even to an extent what the plot is, and even some of the relationships between the characters, it does draw quite heavily on the Nick Fury Agent of Shield comics, but you know, particularly the '60s stuff. What it's lacking is the the tone and imagination of those comics. So rather than being a hugely um, imaginative. spy 1960s stylish spy caper that just throws a million ideas at you and never lets up it just takes those characters and puts them in the most horrendously generic 90s action movie Now I wouldn't even call it an action movie because an action movie implies that there will be some action in it <laughs> <laughs> uh, and there isn't. It
1: has all There's the just a lot of, of an talking. action movie, though. Doesn't oh, it? Oh, it totally has all the trappings of an action <laughs> movie. It's an action movie for TV, and that's what I was going to say, like, it's not, it. It feels like a Steven Seagal movie, but like not a Steven Seagal movie of the '90s, a Steven Seagal movie of like 2014. Like <laughs> after Seagal had got chubby and not interested and didn't have the budgets anymore. Yeah. You do have to, I suppose you
3: do have to think about it in terms of being a TV movie. And that does mean that you do have to look at it with slightly different critical faculties. But I still think that a TV movie can either, like, objectively be good or it can be really bad but you just get this real sense of enjoyment out of it um, and like there's another famous comic book TV movie that I think we'll get to I should I say famous, infamous comic book TV movie from the 90s from a year before this that I think we will get to eventually which is probably objectively worse than this but is I think a lot more enjoyable and the thing about this is that like even if you judge it by the lowered standards of a TV movie it's just like you see, so seven, inept.
1: I agree it is inept and it's terrible, but I watch this with kind of like a disbelieving grin on my face the whole way through. Because even when the scenes are boring, and the scenes are boring, Hasselhoff will just be acting his face off in but not not acting with a capital A, just kind of like doing something ridiculous or saying something silly or just playing it so over the top. And the fact that the film kind of like veers between taking itself semi-seriously and sending itself up entirely... Like, the fact that it never has an idea about what it's doing, and the fact that the plot is so absurd that you don't quite know what ridiculous thing is going to happen in the next scene. Like, is Nick Fury dead? Oh no, he's not dead, but he kind of is, but he's going to make it through to the end of the movie. (laughs) I I just never knew what was coming next, and I never knew what Hasselhoff was going to have next, so I did have fun watching this. Like... I, I probably had the same amount of fun watching this as I did Howard the Duck, apart from that boring half hour in the yeah. middle when they're when they're on the plane. Like but it was, I, I it was think that kind of enjoyment.
3: H- how would the duck makes, as we discussed in detail, make some horrendously appalling decisions? But how would the duck is more competently made than this? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: for yes, sure. Yes, Yeah, <laughs> correct. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh. Okay, well, I think that's a good way to tee this movie up. Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to read to you the plot synopsis from Wikipedia and see if we can expand on this. Um, I should point out, I watched, we were originally going to record this episode um, before I went away. It was going to be another pre-record um, and we eventually didn't have time to do it. But I did watch the film before I went away and I was going to try and watch it again when I got back. But I didn't, so... But you're a married I'm man now of, and, you know, you've got responsibilities <laughs> yeah, re- and... responsibilities and... Yeah. And th- oh, yeah. I, wa- I I ended up watching, like, 20 episodes of Batman the Animated <laughs> Series instead. Um... um But yeah, so I'm going to read this plot synopsis from Wikipedia and then we'll see if you can kind of expand on it and remind me of certain things because I'm sure this is going to be a case where you're like... I remember when that happens and I was like, I'd forgotten but now I do Um, because I know watching the film I thought it was ridiculous from scene to scene. So um, Nick Fury, retired... So he's retired at the start of the movie, you guys. ...is approached to return to duty and take down agents of the terrorist organisation... Hydra, you've heard of them, led by the children of Baron Wolf, Wolfgang von Strucker. Again, we've heard of him, an old enemy of his. Hydra has reconstituted a pathogen known as the Death's Head virus. Is that a thing from the comics, you guys? Not that I'm aware of. I don't, yeah,
3: there, like there is a Death's Head man? in Marvel, but he's rather different. <laughs>
1: oh, maybe it's a reference then. Um, I don't and think it's threatens to attack Manhattan with it. <laughs> barring payment of $1 billion. So we've got a Doctor Evil little bit here as well, which is quite nice. Um, so can you expand on that? What what happens in in the gaps in between Nick Fury trying to take down Hydra and stop them releasing this pathogen? A lot of people talk for a while.
2: <laughs> I mean, is is there anything to the plot beyond that? <laughs> Not really, is there? Like, there's... So it's basically, he, get, he gets pulled out of retirement. Well, like, gets, they've got Arnim Zola, haven't they? And
0: They've got Arnim Zola, but... Oh. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
3: God, yeah, there is that whole bit with Arnim Zola. Yeah, there's that bit where he's kidnapped
2: uh... off screen and you're not really sure that he's been kidnapped.
3: And Although, you rewind fair... the film
2: to go, did I miss the scene where someone kidnapped Arnim Zola and then you realize, no, it happened when Nick Fury was unconscious, so we didn't see it.
3: The bit where they go to get Arnim Zola um, does give probably the only thing that I genuinely liked about this movie in terms of being self aware, which is that it has a scene set in Berlin and somebody says to David Hasselhoff, We had some good times here, didn't we? Or maybe, he said, maybe even David Hasselhoff says, We had some good times here. As David Hasselhoff talking about having good times in Berlin, I can, I can get behind that as a little meta joke.
1: Well, that's what I mean about it kind of veering between silly and uh, like between being self aware and being completely straight faced. Like, sometimes you will just be watching a run of the mill, standard kind of copy and paste from any action film scene where people are stood around in a room discussing the plot, Basil Exposition style. But you'll also have like, a scene where, like I don't know, someone. I'm sure at some point someone calls Nick Fury a comic book villain and yeah. kind of raises an eyebrow and looks coward, directly which is down weird, the weird, because it's not even a phrase. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, you guys, I'm just looking down the list of the characters. And this I, is, I, I, yeah. Did, I did this when I was watching <laughs> the film as well. So w- we've already mentioned that the children, the villains are the... Sons and uh, the son and daughter, well, mostly the daughter of uh, Baron von Strucker. So we've got Andrea von Strucker, who I believe is a Marvel character, but so obscure that she's like from one particular actual Nick Fury comic, I think.
2: Uh, To be fair, uh, von Strucker's children are a fairly major pair of villains who turned up quite a lot in certain comics. Okay. Like. Uh they used to go around as a pairing, like for a start, in the comics they're mutants and their powers are connected. Oh.
1: Oh so we couldn't do that anymore.
2: Yeah. Um So they turn up in a- So they are actual legit. Yeah, they turn up in X-Men comics a lot, although Andrea von Stricker is dead now. And the who's who's the son? Andreas. Andreas. Yeah, he's <laughs> of course. He's um he became the new swordsman in the last run of thunderbolts. No, the last Actually, in yeah, the, a couple of runs of thunderbolts ago.
3: In the film he's not Andreas, he's Werner.
2: Werner <laughs> is a different. No, Werner's yes. a different one.
3: Uh, okay. Well, in in the film it's Werner and Andreas. Okay. I'm looking at IMDb here. But, right. Um.
2: and and
1: andrea is also viper that's her that she's not that viper is confusing because the
2: there's a different character yeah. called viper completely <laughs> like she that version is the one who was adapted in the wolverine so she's uh, she was married if, to wolverine which is some, why she's tied up with the x-men license but she's not a so mutant. it's
1: almost if someone has picked up like a um, marvel kind of encyclopedia and skip forward to this shield page and kind of Flick through some other- articles, I go, yeah, I've written- write that word down, write that character I mean, name down, and then but apart from that, they do like as I, the cast of characters that they put
3: together, as I say, they are all like um Val Fontaine, um, Dum
1: Dum Duggan, although he's just Timothy Duggan here. Um, yes, he was the one that and- I had to pause halfway through the film because I heard someone call him Duggan and I was like, ah, is that but he's just kind of like an office bod yeah he and seem, um he's not a howling commando is he
3: and even the bloke who gets killed right at the start is clay Quartermain, who is a major yes, recurring in, one. and he's in, an in alien. <laughs> yes you did yeah. you did recognize him from there then um yeah <laughs> they they're missing um uh what's his name ah villain from winter soldier um help me out james sitwell they're, miss, they're missing sit well, they're missing yeah. sitwell um, but they do, speaking of villains from Winter Soldier... <laughs> Alexander, Alexander, Alexander Pierce! Pierce.
1: <laughs> this, actually... As, as kind of like a rookie... Oh, no, wait, I'm thinking of the wrong character. No, you here, are. No, Alexander Pierce is the yeah, guy. Yeah, he's like the, the British... The yeah. Oh, yeah, so he's the, he's, yeah. he's the rookie kind of shield agent who is learning under... um, Learning under Fury, who clearly is the character who Fury is kind of yeah. like... Well, it seems like it has this standard narrative where Fury is going to kind of give him stick the whole way through and at the end is going to rub his cheek and say, you are done good, kid. Well, that's exactly what happens. (laughs) Well, it is, but also, like, along the way, he... He shows himself to be fairly incompetent at yeah. various occasions. But, like, so he actually is the idiot for a lot of the time. But you know, it's what? not just that Fury's not respecting him because Fury's trying to be the tough old. <laughs> no, he's, yeah, he just he's, he's him. he's, he's actually
3: rubbish. Useless. Yeah, but actually, yeah. <laughs> to be fair, this is a closer to the comics portrayal of Pierce than Winter Soldier oh, wow. because he's not a baddie in the comics. He is a team member in the comics. He's not from the '60s comics though. He's from the um, like late 80s, early 90s Nick Fury stuff, so he's not part of the original gang from the um, Lee and Kirby and Staranko stuff but Dugan Val um, uh, Valfontaine and Quartermain are all from that run, they're missing um, oh no, there is um, Gabe Jones isn't it, isn't he he's the, the guy, yeah, he's who's the, not Morgan Freeman he's the doctor um, is, is Gabe Jones as well so, but he's kind of a, he's a very different character in the film than he is in uh, the comics. He's, he's, he's another director,
1: soldier. What about the director Jack Pinser? Has um, he just been made up because Fury tends to be the director, so they needed to? put He someone doesn't else
2: sound in familiar to me. Um,
3: I'm not sure if they created him for the film. I can't remember. I can't recall. I, I I suspect he was created for the film. Um, it does ca- it the does, name doesn't so, ring a bell. So
1: we should point out Nick Fury in this film because he's retired but he's kind of been retired it wasn't his yeah. choice really was it he was replaced well, and sent off into the what's, wilderness what's weird and is he gets for him. They,
3: they, he gets recalled and I'm sure they, that when Pierce goes to him he says they want you to come back and be director but then he comes back and there is a director who he reports to who hates him they say, <laughs> like.
2: they, say they want him to be the public director so like yeah, the public face that, yeah. perhaps but not the yeah. not the actual face
1: but
3: I, Sorry.
2: <laughs> I
1: do actually think it makes sense because if this is kind of a pastiche of all of Nick Fury's elements dialed up to 11, I think it kind of makes sense that he has to be kind of the guy rebelling against the orders yeah, of someone above needs him. Yeah, There needs to and be I guess like you an authority. I think have done it with like, like the yeah. president or the military kind of giving shield orders mm. and him saying no. Um, I, th- I
3: think, as th- I just say though, I, th- I think what's weird the reason why you kind of need that intermediary step or that intermediary level is. They've established that the president wants Nick Fury to come back. But as you say, they want all this stuff where he's, the, he's kind of rolling his eyes at it all and he's, you know, punching against authority, literally, in one instance. Um, <laughs> but you can't have it be the president who he's rebelling against because the president wanted him there. So you have to have yeah. somebody between the president and him who doesn't want him there. Although I don't think the film would have been harmed in any way if that character had been cut out entirely because... With with one very very notable exception, I think that guy is the worst performance and character in the film.
1: <laughs> Sorry, the the general.
3: Yeah, he's so bad. Well,
1: and he gets two performances because, as you said, life model decoys, <laughs> and we get a life model DK or a D, DK <laughs> a decoy of the general, uh, the director in this film, and. Uh, this was one of my favourite moments in the film is so they kind of this the director's already in the room and then this other one shows up and kind of storms into the room and like as a viewer you're like well obviously this new one showing up is is the decoy because it's kind of been set up that way and the one in the room is real Um, and Fury kind of with no hesitation picks up his gun and kind of shoots the life model decoy and takes him out (laughs) And you're like, it can't be this obvious. They're going to subvert this line somehow. And the director says to theory. How did you know which one was real? I didn't. Wait, is that the joke? Wait, that's... Is- no, yeah, that is the joke. It was it. it was entirely what we expected. I, I can't
3: believe that by this point you expected it to subvert the line. <laughs> this is a film that by that state, like within its first maybe 30 minutes or so, the words, so we meet again, had been uttered twice by two different characters on two different
2: occasions. That's also, that's after... I do like this as well, though. That's after he fixes a lift security system by shooting it. Like, there are a lot of times in this film where he just, like, pulls his gun and starts shooting. Because he's like, well, I'm going to fix this the old-fashioned way. Bullets. (sighs) I mean, it gives me new appreciation of the Howard the Duck movie. (laughs) i tell you what, though. it It has genuinely given me new appreciation of the Generation X TV movie, which I think is a lot better than this, in that it has a coherent story and actual characters and, you know, scenes you would conceivably remember.
1: So that, that's that's pretty typical of the way that Nick Fury deals with everything in this film, though. And it's it's funny because there's so many characters around him saying kind of like, "You're washed up. <laughs> the world's not made for people like you anymore, Fury. We've moved on." Which is kind of like the golden eye view of a character like Nick Fury, isn't it? It's like you know, you're the you're the Cold War relic. The world has moved on. We don't need you anymore. Except the ironic thing is, the world of this movie hasn't moved on past a character like Nick Fury. The world seems to bend to his whim, like the facts that he can shoot a lift and that solves the problem. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, like the facts that he can get poisoned and should be killed, but his body is able to withstand that for the rest of the length of the movie while he's doing like, his actions. That's what
2: I mean in the sense that he's more like a parody of Nick Fury than actually Nick Fury. Yeah. Because, like, he just. Yeah. He does whatever he likes, and the story works. <laughs> like, things that should have zero. that should make zero sense just work out fine for him.
1: Should we pay tribute to David Hasselhoff in that respect? Because. Um, well- you know, let's not pretend this is anything but a terrible performance from Hasselhoff <laughs> because it's it's absurd. It really is. Oh, see, I was worried like, before
3: when you were talking about um, him. You know, kind of acting off the screen. I thought you were actually being positive about his performance. <laughs> no, it's
1: it's <laughs> <'cause> it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a dreadful, ridiculous kind of parody performance. But having said that, it's enjoyable to watch Hasselhoff being that ridiculous. It's. that's that's what i found got me through the scenes um i kind of i I kind of enjoyed the the vigor which with which he was delivering these obviously terrible lines he was delivering the kind of zingers at the end of the scene like they'd been written for an arnold schwarzenegger 100 million dollar blockbuster in 1992 rather than a nick fury Cheap knockoff made for TV movie. Like, there's no quality, there's no artistry, there's no intelligence to the zingers that they give Nick Fury, but he delivers them as if they are the most sumptuous and glittering <laughs>
0: one liners he could
1: possibly have been given. He's wonderful in that respect. That's certainly a word you could use. <laughs> What was the um, it's a long time since I read this out now, but the the line that he um, reads ah, out
2: in age. when he meets Yeah, she's yes, an old hand Contessa
1: the Valentina de Allegro Fontaine, quite a mouthful when you try and wrap your tongue around it. Don't let the blue blood fool you, pierce. Val's an old hand at the sexpionage game. And the thing is, right, this. It this, doesn't make any
3: sense. First, it doesn't make any sense. Secondly, it comes like apropos of absolutely nothing. He's literally just met this guy, and it's like we don't know anything about really him or this character who he's talking about or this character who he's talking to. Like the viewer has literally just met all three of these characters in this scene, and Pierce like, is just meeting Fury for the first time. And all of a sudden he comes out with this line that's obviously supposed to be there to imply this, like, shared history between them, but bloody hell it's (laughs) ham-fisted.
1: Do you know what? He he reminds me a lot of, kind of, like, John Barrowman in Arrow, Um, in that, like, the character is so abrasive and kind of immediately unlikable in his kind of brash I don't feel like he's kind of like a a lovable hero that gives a bit i don't feel like he he doesn't come across like a tony stark it, it's almost like that you've the, the casting of hasselhoff in that he's quite i don't think anyone hates hasselhoff i think he's immediately quite likable but no one has any kind of respect for him as a fine actor like you so said this is post the music career and stuff so and post Baywatch and all of that you We kind of know who Hasselhoff is, and so you kind of like buy the ridiculous nature of this character. you don't really buy him as this gruff asshole because it's hasselhoff, so we can kind of just giggle along with the fact that he's saying this i am
3: um, I will just say actually that the the ludicrousness of the kind of dialogue, the sort of the the cigar chomping lines and the kind of way that he talks that's actually reasonably faithful to how he is, particularly in the 60s comics. It's just that what works on the page of a 1960s Stanley Jack Kirby and Jim Sturanko comic is not necessarily what works on screen in the mouth of David Hasselhoff in 1998. <laughs> you
1: know? We should point out this movie was written supposedly by David S. Goya.
3: Which means that um, there is a David Goya script that is worse than... Well, whichever David Bowyer script you want to pick. <laughs> Apparently he has tried to distance himself from it. He yes, said that he severely. wrote a version and it got heavily rewritten, and but
1: his name was kept on it. Um, this came out the same year as Blade, mm. which he also wrote.
2: Um, I mean, it is, it's notable that this is basically just, like, flat exposition for mm. most of its running time. Like... It reminds me of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV series in a bad way. (laughs) Although, that said, there are bits of this that I think... They should have done more stuff like this in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Well, yeah, I mean,
1: like... Do you mean dialing up the camp? Is that what you mean by that?
2: Yeah, like, more things like they have... Occasionally, they pull out some, like, weird spy gadgets and use them. Like, I didn't know before I watched this film how much aerosol could do. (laughs) It is, at least. I mean, like... Because, like, it, it can remove disguises, it can let you walk through lasers like but really the stuff.
3: shield should be something that has ridiculous technology and gadgets it's like that is a key because shield even by its very name comes out of the 1960s like ridiculous spy tradition like it's shield would not exist yeah, as a like name like man without from man from uncle you know ah. um and yeah, specter yeah. is probably another example yeah um but so you know Probably one of the problems with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I mean, is that, yeah, it's actually, I mean, of the many problems with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, is that it's, you know, it's its own thing, but that thing is not really S.H.I.E.L.D. as you would imagine the sort of, you know, the key elements of S.H.I.E.L.D. At least this film, the problem with this film is that it takes those elements and rather than doing what it should have done, which is to do it as actually a period piece in the 60s, which obviously they could never afford to do on a TV movie budget, but... Um, it, the, its problem is that it's being made in 1998 and on a TV movie budget. And so it's just a load of scenes in warehouses with pipes and everyone's wearing black leather jackets. And it's just, yeah. you know, but it's but it has at least got... I mean, to its credit, and I did not expect this, and while the effects are terrible, at least they do the helicarrier. I, I didn't expect that they would do the helicarrier mm-hmm. in this. And they do. And it looks awful, but yeah. at least they do it.
2: I mean, I don't even think it looks awful. I think um, it looks
3: actually. No, the helicarrier doesn't. It's 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 yeah. the jet that
0: yeah.
1: looks awful in those shots. The helicarrier looks
2: okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you get like a shot of each, and other than that, it's just people inside them, mm-hmm. which is clearly <laughs> just like people on <laughs> sets. <laughs> everything looks like it's I don't know. It's so grey. Yeah, every, everything, whether it's a scene that's set in a warehouse or not, looks like they're in a warehouse. <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. <laughs>
1: um, you put some computer screens up in this warehouse. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> Um, you talk about all the gadgets and stuff um, and it does seem like the film is making up kind of like the technology and stuff as it goes along I mean uh, the reason I brought up David Escoya is because uh, like and him because he does dispute having written this and this really does feel like a film that someone wrote a script for and then someone else got their hands on it and kind of stripped anything that cost any money out of it and then kind of wrote some lines that got you from scene A to scene B to scene C And it does feel like, oh, how would they get out of this thing in this scene? Uh, What if we do this? It's like, oh, um, there's a real big plot hole here. Could we introduce a character who's a psychic? Yeah, 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 let's introduce that character who's a psychic. Uh, uh, We haven't really got much for that psychic character to do. She's not really influencing the plot anymore. While she's in the script now, it'd be a bit difficult to take her out. (laughs) it's like <laughs> you know my I mean? favorite like, there's there's a member of the team here who's a psychic and she doesn't my do favorite. anything like they get into trouble every five minutes she never sees like, anything my favorite coming. part
2: of the entire film is that like the big moment like the thing the film is leading up to like the huge character drama for Nick Fury at the end is he has to choose whether they press six or nine <laughs> Like that is that's how he saves he the, day. With the He wand. has superior knowledge of whether they should press the button six or nine, which he's just guessing. He doesn't he has, know. He has
3: he has superior knowledge of whether the psychic is reading an incorrect, yeah.
2: like he's not psychic. Not. He just <laughs> based on the information he's got, which is no information. He he picks six or nine correctly. Um,
1: I can't remember how this film ends. I mean, he. He <laughs> with that, picks six. So I'm not
2: gonna. I'm sorry for the spoiler. You yeah. <laughs> don't have to watch the film now. He chooses six, and the the bomb doesn't um, go off, or the missiles don't go off,
3: and then and then the villain escapes, and she she goes down a lift <laughs> in a tube, and Nick Fury says she's halfway to China <laughs> by now. I'm not entirely sure what is. Has she literally got a tunnel through the earth? I'm I'm not sure. So, can they not follow her? Yeah, the and then the there's the that movie. weird um, incesty
2: scene at the end oh, where. Baron von oh yes, Struck of course, because be Baron von
3: Stricker actually. But can we can we actually talk about Andrea von Strucker? Because there's one yes. particular scene that we haven't. I think we've deliberately skipped it over so that we can talk about it. Like, towards you guys, the end. she's the
1: best. <laughs> she is one of the few members of this, like, of the cast who feel like they're in the same movie as <laughs> yeah. David Hasselhoff. Like, I, Ed- no, shall I, I tell mean, you who no she feels good, like she's in the
3: same movie no- as? She's in the same movie as Tommy Wiseau.
1: <laughs> that's fair. But do, do you know what I mean like every other character like there's a lot of bad performances in this film but they kind of, they kind of feel like they're bad just just because that's just the quality and, of the person yeah. playing them whereas I'm sure Sandra Hess who I think is best known from from her IMDb profile for playing Sonya Blade in, in Mortal, Mortal Kombat, Kombat Annihilation. Um, she she is dialing it up to a level that perhaps even eclipses Hasselhoff, but I, I, I'm not sure how deliberate it is because it's <laughs> really so bad. Well,
3: uh, there's this. I mean, this this one scene that I'm talking about is so. There's the scene. It's the scene when she is talking to the the council of Hydra members, <laughs> That's um, it. and. That scene is just, it has got there's so much to unpack from that scene because you've got her just ranting maniacally and just being appalling. But then you have this moment where she's basically is, you know, the idea is that she's sort of gone off and done her own thing in terms of, you know, getting control of Hydra and, and, and determining what Hydra will do in terms of bringing back von Strucker and doing the Death Head virus and stuff. And the, the council of evil Hydra members across the globe are appalled by this, largely because they had to wake up early in the morning because of the time difference Um, and then she basically demonstrates her frightening, you know, superiority to them by bringing out one of the other lieutenants who's from London apparently although he doesn't say a line of dialogue so you don't get to hear his accent and he's tied to a chair and you get the, I thought at this point, oh she's going to unleash the virus on him (laughs) and you're going to get this scene where the virus takes hold and his face transforms and stuff, she's going to do something appalling and they're going to be terrified of her and she pulls out a gun and she shoots him. But even better than that, she fires four times, and you see at the fourth shot him fly backwards, having been shot. so she missed with the first three shots, and then she shoots him in the head. And then she turns around and goes, "Does anybody else want to doubt the new direction of the... It's like you've got a gun. They've all probably got guns. It's not the most terrifying thing they're ever going to have seen. They're
1: international terrorist criminals said the delivery of all of this as well and there's a reason if anyone can remember back to this that I brought her up or alluded to her during our Suicide Squad podcast um, because I claim that she is, a better, I stand by this, a better villain than Enchantress. But she, the reason I was reminded of her to bring up was because even just when she's just walking two or three steps, she <laughs> seems to walk with her entire body. Her arms always seem to be outstretched. And, like, with each footstep, she kind of has to, like, throw half of her body forward because everything is so big and exaggerated. And... She's, she feels to me like a villain from a, a really cheap cartoon, like um, like n- not one of the good 90s animated cartoons, like I, I don't know, maybe one of the less successful ones that <laughs> the no one Ultra-verse remembers cartoon. the kind that you probably watched when you were a kid and forced out of your memory <laughs> um, there's
3: all the other thing in that scene and actually that probably sums up why she feels like she's wandered in from a different film is that during that scene she says we are the children of anarchy and it's like no, you're Nazis. You're trying to bring about a fascistic world. You're literally the opposite of
1: anarchy. She also gets some fantastic outfits.
2: I was going to say, she has. She seems to have a different outfit in every scene. In every scene, yeah. <laughs> Apart she from she always has that
1: veil over that her scene. face. <laughs> yeah, does she, in that scene where she's talking to all of the members on the screens... Does she, I'm pretty sure does she there's
2: there's one that, scene I think where she like takes her coat off or something and there's like a different dress beneath it maybe, something along <laughs> those lines. I'm,
1: yeah, I'm but sure yeah. it's that. I
2: mean, the thing the thing it. I like most about her is her accent, which veers between French and German.
3: Well, she is Swiss, so <laughs> okay. that would explain it. But
2: <laughs> do you think that you
0: was I would have thought that a
3: Swiss person could do a convincing German accent, <laughs> but she cannot do a convincing well, German I, accent.
1: I, I, on that point, one of my favorite <laughs> of my favourite subplots from the movie is when she is posing as that other agent. Is she yeah. is she, she's posing as a British agent? I and, and no, I No, I think she's to...
3: German because they're in Berlin. It's a German yeah. Interpol agent.
1: Yeah. Right, okay, but is it a German Interpol agent? But the German Interpol agent herself is clearly being dubbed, mm. but she's not being dubbed by Sandra Hess, she's been no, dubbed yeah. with a different voice. I don't
3: think it's I don't think it's dubbed in order to you know for it to be Sandra Hess's voice. I think it's just one of several examples in the film where they've gone back and done ADR because there's at yeah. least two other examples where I could see that the a character's name that was being said would, did not match the mouth moves because it's right at the very start when the guy playing Quartermain says um, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker and he does not. His lips do not make that movement when he says it at all. It's bizarre. There is a lot of dodgy ADR in in this film.
1: Yeah, um, I yeah i I thought she was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the, that's what I mean. Because I think it, she's the I think you, she's the only part that of the film going to be around the corner.
3: I think she's the only part of the film that goes into so bad it's almost entertaining. But in that one scene, it's just this is just. Laughable. I do, uh, honestly, I don't make the the room comparison idly. Like that one scene that I'm talking about, I have I have seen nothing like that scene since I saw the room. Honestly,
0: it's um- just.
1: And that seems not. It doesn't seem like it's being played for laughs. I mean, she hasn't an outrageous costume, and she is acting ridiculously over the top. But when she shoots him in the chest and says, mm. you know, and says that about, you know, do, do you question my power now. It doesn't. It feels like it's been presented so you, as an audience member, go, oh yeah, well the the rest of the the rest of those people aren't going to mess with her now. Yeah, yeah, fine, okay. Um, it doesn't feel like it's been played for you to go. Oh well, that's patently ridiculous. She is absurd. It just feels like they think they're doing a comic book villain. Mm. Um, but it's it's weird that you you get that kind of stuff. But also you get this. So they always look at the scene where Alexander Pierce is showing himself to be ridiculous, and he kind of he says, "Oh, don't worry. I'm I'm, I'm the I was the head of my class. I'm I'm trained in silent killing." And then immediately. <laughs> Fails to take down the guy and gets wiped out, <laughs> and that's quite funny. Like it's, it's a it's a dumb, easy, generic setup. Can I? That but that It's quite weird. funny, and it's the film being aware of <laughs> aware of what it's doing. That that
3: scene actually contains what I think is the most bizarre moment in the film, which is Nick Fury apologizes to an actual Nazi yeah, for shooting like, him. What? Like, Hydra agents are Nazis, and just in case, you know, this film isn't trying to move away from that because they've got red armbands with the Hydra logo on, so it's like there's, there's no getting away from the fact that this is Nazi Hydra. And, yeah, Pierce tries to attack the guy and it doesn't work, so then Fury punches him and then he shoots him, and then he says sorry as the guys
2: falling. down. I like, why are you apologising to a Hydra agent? <laughs> it is bizarre.
1: I think that's I think that's about as far in the movie as I can remember. I, I I know I watched the whole thing, but I really honestly struggle to remember anything. Well, the the, the remainder
3: of the film is them looking at a computer screen and trying to figure out. Oh no, that bit's that bit is the bit is before um, thingy kills the life model decoy, and then it turns out to be a life model decoy because it, it's 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 life yeah. model decoy. <laughs> um, but 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 from then on, it is literally them just trying to figure out a password. That, that's I the rest of the film they're trying to figure out a five digit password maybe you did it, yeah.
1: yeah it's possible it is possible uh, I do remember at various points in this film um, which given that it is a TV movie it has act breaks and so yeah. kind of occasionally when I saw an act break I was like I wonder how I wonder how far we're now I'll just click and look at, I were only half an hour <laughs> in are you kidding me I, I, it's I, not I, a I long film to... it's 90 minutes long but it's it's 90 minutes that feels long. like
3: about two and a half hours Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> um I, I got to I, I assumed I was about an hour and, and a quarter in when I was forty five yeah. minutes in. It was like halfway through and I was like blood yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean there's one there's one thing I want to um, uh, I don't know, how how close are we to the end here? To-
1: probably not a huge amount there's not there's not too much to dig into this one. It was yeah, a nice I mean, it's a nice one to ease us back into Cinematic Universe because there's really not too much to dig into with <laughs> Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Could you guys think of any interesting underlying <laughs> themes or anything the movie was trying to say or any interesting camera work maybe some nice photography. There, there was a lot of Dutch and nice sort of musical A flourishes. lot of Dutch
2: on the camera <laughs>
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> we, Like that's the TV movie, we want to be widescreen but we can't so we're going to tilt the camera a bit to make the most of what we've got <laughs>
1: Gotta get those angles. Yeah. Um what, I mean, what were you the actually thing, gonna say though, James? The you thing I spent suspicious. the entire
2: film doing was going, can I make this fit into MCU continuity? Like, <laughs> how how much do you have to hammer it into shape for it for this to be legit? Because Joe, I don't I, I don't think, know if I you know in he... the comics, but the white Nick Fury is the father of black Nick Fury.
1: I mean, I've heard you say this in a number of times, but I've just chosen not to believe <laughs> it. It is true.
2: It's how how they got the Black Nick Fury into the regular Marvel Universe was establishing that he was the illegitimate son of... or possibly legitimate son. He was the hidden son of White Nick Fury. How? How? He just... he met a black woman and had sex with her. I mean, I don't want to go into full detail, but... then the kid was born.
1: Why? I mean, is that still the case now? Or is... Black Nick Fury, the ultimate Nick Fury, or has he just disappeared?
2: Post-Secret Wars, they might have on that slightly. Like, I don't think they want to go into it too much. No, it's bad. It's, it's real bad. You... So, basically, I don't think there's a lot in this film that you could not explain away and still have it be canon. Like, you could say, oh, that's Alexander Pierce's son, and, like... uh there are some of the Howling Commandos who show up. Yeah, and you can say, well, maybe, maybe they just went into Shield when they were older, and like if you assume this is set in the nineties, like ten years before Iron Man, I think you can just about make it work. <laughs> and that is my well, intention.
1: No, because no one wants to change. I know. No I tell actually...
2: you, I'll tell you why. Actually, the one thing that means it doesn't work is that. Werner von Strucker showed up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But he dies in this one.
3: Oh, uh, Baron von
1: Strucker as well.
2: Well, yeah, but there's nothing... Like, Baron von Strucker's in Age of Ultron, but he doesn't die.
1: Ah, uh, so it's literally only the death that you're calling into question. Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's uh, That seems remarkably <laughs> generous of you, James.
2: <laughs> I think a competent writer could explain away everything except the fact that Werner von Stru- Strucker has died twice. That's impossible to explain. Okay,
1: well, um, I think it's only fair to our listeners as well as as much as our insanity because if we bang on for any longer about this film, we're not gonna, We're just going to be we're just going to be talking in circles because it's basically what we've said and repeat, isn't it? This is a ridiculous movie, but I I feel like it's in. I tell you what, I wouldn't tell anyone to go out and watch this movie. But if you can find a couple of clips on YouTube, or if you can just kind of like fast forward through it, and kind of like if a scene looks like it might be interesting to you, watch that for two minutes and then skip forward another twenty. I like, mean, that's is, the way to watch this movie. You'll
2: it's get kind of pissed. hard to watch. It's kind of hard to watch anyway, isn't it? Because it appears to have been entirely redacted from the Marvel cinematic Marvel's cinematic output. Mm. Like, you can't buy it digitally anywhere.
1: I purchased a physical copy.
2: <laughs> exactly. I also did that and then watched it on YouTube, where it is <laughs> yeah. available in six parts or seven parts.
1: No, there is a there is a full video up on YouTube. If I you saw know, a lot of full of
2: videos in like Polish or Spanish dubbing. <laughs> oh, that's
1: that's possible. I didn't. I I did not watch it in that.
2: Yeah, if you exactly. want to watch it, it's on YouTube. Mm. Yeah. Um, or you could purchase it like I did for five pounds on DVD. Yeah yeah <laughs> I'll never it's get five pounds, pounds and not back. getting back <laughs>
1: um, um but yeah do, do you have anything before before we finish any any other little things that you'd like to mention we we, we haven't mentioned the psychic very much but i'm not sure that she needs discussing hugely any no, any I'm, particular I'm, moments or lines or
2: nick fury so, smokes marvel heroes aren't allowed to smoke anymore
1: <laughs> that's true he he smokes we should have talked about that. He smokes in every single scene. Every line is said through cigar. Again though, um, comics quite comics accurate.
2: Team. Before before Marvel banned smoking in their comics, which is a fairly like some people hate that. I think it's a completely rational and reasonable thing to do. Do
1: Oops. you remember when do you remember when we were talking about the um and the mask and how Jim Carrey had pulled off the remarkable feat of being able to talk through those fake teeth? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I just think it's, it's a just as much a remarkable achievement that David Hasselhoff is able to be coherent throughout chomping on that cigar in every scene because he literally doesn't take it out of his mouth while he's talking. So um, I think you've got to bow down to him in that respect. Well, at least there is one respect. But that was Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. So guys, what comic books would you like to recommend me based on this movie? Bad ones, I can only assume. No, quite the opposite. Um,
3: I'll I'll go with the obvious one, which is the um collection of the Jim Steranko uh Shield material, um Nick Fury agent of shield. Um if you it will be gone by the time uh this co- goes out, but Joe, if you go on Comixology like now, you can get this complete collection for two pounds forty nine, but the sale Ooh. ends tomorrow. <laughs> uh rather than thirteen ninety nine. Um, for completeness sake, for anyone who wants to track it down, it's issues 151 to 168 of Strange Tales, which sounds like a lot, but every issue is only half an issue's length because Strange Tales was Doctor Strange and Nick Fury stories at like running simultaneously, so it was half an issue. Um, then it's issues 1 to 3 and 5 of Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, basically, what happened was Stanley and Jack Kirby were doing it, and then a couple of issues in Jim Steranko came in to start drawing it, and then he took over as writer artist. And it's just basically, I mean, it's it's fantastic experimental comics. It starts out quite standard 60s, and then it goes more and more interesting and experimental and crazy 60s spy stuff, like not a million miles away from something like Casanova, let's say. Um, But a little bit less complex, but still really interesting. And this is where all of the characters and stuff from this film come from, basically.
2: Excellent. James, have you got something similar? I wouldn't say similar. (laughs) I've got (laughs) something good. Um, Okay. So earlier I sort of alluded to this Nick Fury parody. Um, He is a character called Dirk Anger. And he (laughs) was originally supposed to be Nick Fury, but the tone of the book meant that the the writer was told not to use this character at the risk of completely obliterating his usefulness in the future Um, so the book I'm recommending you is called Next Wave Uh, it's by Warren Ellis and Stuart Immonen and it's about this character called Dirk Anger making a kind of S.H.I.E.L.D-esque organisation and Next Wave are his superhero team which consists of a bunch of weird sort of vaguely obscure marvel characters who i mean i can't think that you'll be familiar with any of them off the top of my head but by the end of these 12 issues you will love them and i'm like admittedly they're all single issue stories so i could recommend any one but as soon as you start reading i think you will just go straight through to the end okay so next wave issues one to 12 that's the complete run warren Ellis and Stuart eminent it's fantastic
3: so you've got okay, that, you've got nearly that. you've got nearly 500 pages of uh, Staranko Shield and then 12 <laughs> issues of uh, Next Wave.
2: Yeah, we thought we'd ease back in.
3: I think you've got about yeah. 800
1: pages to read this week. <laughs> wow, okay. Well, we'll see how I get on with that. <laughs> okay, we'll move on to our final section now, which is the pitch. Um and this is a fairly simple one. Um the great, fantastic actress Olivia Coleman this week said that she would love to play a Marvel villain. Uh, so it's an easy question because I think we all agree that she should play one. Which one should which one should she play? And Seb, um we'll start with you.
3: Um, So this one immediately came to mind such that actually we discussed this over email, um, which we don't usually do with the pitch, but it came up as a conversation topic beforehand. Um, The immediate thing that comes to mind is that she should play a female Dr. Octopus in a Tom Holland Spider-Man film. Now, there was a female Dr. Octopus called Carolyn Trainer in the 90s, but I don't think she should be that character because... I think she would work so well just as a gender-flipped version of Otto Octavius. So I think she should be Dr. Ophelia Octavius and just <laughs> like... Because I think that's a character who Alfred Molina played it so well that if you're going to recast, you should move in a completely different direction. And I think Olivia Colman would play that role superbly. Yeah, that makes an awful lot of sense.
1: James, can you be a uh, female Dr. Octopus?
2: maybe uh, one of the things that olivia common said was that she doesn't think there are that many middle-aged female villains in marvel in the marvel universe and the only one i could think of aside from marganucci who she doesn't really fit is cassandra nova who is the evil twin of professor xavier from uh, from grant morrison's new x-men run so, if you can imagine Olivia Coleman with a bold head and a kind of ruthless psychic streak, uh, who, in the storyline... Uh, no, I won't tell you that, because you'll have to read New X-Men at some point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to spoiler it, but that's who I think she should be, uh, Professor Xavier's sort of evil twin.
1: Right. So one thing holds you back there, which is that she's not the right age for either James McAvoy or Patrick Stewart. I think she's probably right in the middle of the two of them. Although, on the other hand, that does mean complete universe reboot, which I do like. (laughs) Um but no, I think female Doctor Octopus is kind of perfect. You were onto a loser as soon as you had to not think of that character, James. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yep, yeah, Seb, you win the pitch this week. It, honestly, as soon as as soon as you suggest it, I think it this I think this work. should be a shared victory because
3: James had also had this exact idea when it came up <laughs> in idle conversation.
1: <laughs> hey, I'll leave that up to the two of you to fight out between. If you want to share, you can
2: share. Um, (laughs) No, I refuse to share (laughs) Okay, the win's all yours (laughs) (laughs) Victory victory or death, that's my motto
1: Um, okay well that is it for this week's podcast um, If you're enjoying the show Then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM Or your podcast app of choice And support us on Patreon at patreon.com Forward slash Cinematic Universe You can find more episodes of the show At cinematicmultiverse.com And you can get in touch via Facebook On Twitter at cu underscore podcast Or send us an email to cinematicuniversepod At gmail.com Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week Goodbye Goodbye Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? That is such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, a bringer of light, wisdom and understanding. You see, I think what you really fear is me. Me and my kind. The brotherhood of mutants. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with X-Men.